Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. everybody welcome back and as stated earlier in the program a friend of mine a friend of the program chuck garcia is on the line and when you look at what chuck is all about best-selling author professor coach professional public speaker and mountaineer uh chuck is there anything that i left out that you haven't done uh, well, I'm a dad, so given that that today is Father's Day, I would be remiss if we didn't include that one. Well, and you are a hell of a dad as well. So. <laughs> I have hell of a kid. Yes. So it ma- it makes it really easy. I I know that. So so Chuck, a topic that you and I have spoken about for a, a good number of years now is the cost of wellness. We like to chat about this, and it's a little provocative, it's a little thought-provoking, but here we are in 2022, and with all of your travels and your varied work and teaching and meeting with uh, a wide range of people, today, what would would you say is your definition of the cost of wellness? What does that mean? Put it in your perspective. Yeah. Well, well first, I, I want to put into context that this is a particularly timely discussion, Joe, because I opened up my copy every week of a magazine called The Economist. Uh-huh. And on the front of The Economist, it talks about the World Health Organization yesterday published the world's largest review of mental health in 20 years, and it's not good. Right. That it, even back to 2019, nearly a billion people are living with some kind of mental health disorder. So when I think about mental health, I don't even go to those extremes. I think about each individual responsible for certain aspects of their wellness. Mm-hmm. It's physical, it's mental, and I do want to say that you and I agree that it's partly financial. When we think about how I define it from my perspective, the wellness comes down to one thing, peace of mind. Right. Are you in a peaceful place in your mind such that you drown out the distractions, you are not subject to what everyone else has an opinion about you, you live with the certainty that I have achieved an inner peace and you know who those people are when you meet them because they project an outer peace. And I think by any other standard, Joe, I boil it down to the simplicity of that. When someone has achieved it, whatever money they have in the bank is irrelevant. Do they wake up each day walking around feeling an inner peace? That's my definition. Well, you know, I I 
think that's a, a wonderful way to look at it because so many people are out of balance, out of sync. People, you know, a term that we've, uh, uh, not you and I, but has been coined over the last 20 years, the life balance. And it gives that sense of being steady. Is that where you think we need to focus? Yeah. In, in fact, when I think about our education, you and me, you and I had a luxury that you and I went to school together. In fact, you and I took a psychology class together. Uh-huh. And I remember I had a naive notion. I was a freshman. You were a sophomore. We walked into that class, and we thought that this class was going to be about some insight that helps us with our own psychology. Right. It wasn't. It was a complete opposite. It was about a bunch of theories that neither one of us related to. But I state that as a proxy for the educational model for both high school and college. Who is teaching us about mental health? Who is teaching us to develop a coping mechanism? All they talk about is skills and knowledge. Skill and knowledge is great, but what if I am involved in a situation of which I never learned to cope with, of which I never expected, which is providing a series of challenges that no one ever taught me to overcome? Mm I think, and even though I teach very proudly at Columbia University, I have wonderful students who have an expectation that I'm going to teach them something called emotional intelligence. Right. Sadly, to my adult learners, Joe, this is the first time anyone ever taught them this. Right. I think the educational model, it's not wrong. You and I have benefited immensely from it right. because it's been very good for us. But I think for so many of the people, you as a mental health practitioner, me as someone, a leadership coach and someone who teaches college, I think the model is so out of whack. It does not serve us, our students, your patients, to focus on all of these things about achieving success in the absence of defining what success really is. Now... We, whenever you hear the term the cost of wellness, you immediately jump to financial. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's either your earning potential, what you have socked away for that rainy day. But I look at it as well, and you're bringing in the dimension of mental health and being adjusted and being balanced. But I look at patients, and I see that their schedule is made up of appointment after appointment, test after test for the maintenance or trying to regain their health. And number one, as you said, this throws them off balance. They're always uh, sort of chasing their schedule. The other thing is it distracts them from work, from going to school, to picking up a new hobby, that it is their illness consumes them. And at the end of the day, it probably is going to impact their financial and professional success. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, spot on. Let's, I think the way I put it into perspective, on any given day, we recognize that we go where our energy takes us. Right. So where do we focus our energies? What is the allocation on any given day? From my perspective, each day has to have a few things. One of them, there has to be some kind of physical component because I recognize that when I go for a run, I go to the gym, I simply feel physically better. But when I feel physically better, the best benefit of that, 
I have mental clarity. Uh I not only feel better inside my own body, my mind has a clarity that I feel good about what I'm doing. I have not filled my mind, Joe, and I think this is the worst part of education. I have the ability to clear my mind. What you're describing, sadly, many people don't know how to clear their mind because it's so filled with the angst and the anxiety that comes with what it is you just described. Where is there a space to find the mental acuity that we so strive? Many don't have it. They don't have room for it because of the consumption of all these other things that are in front of them. So we're back to the same question. Who taught them the coping mechanism when they were earlier in their life? They, in their lives, nobody taught them that. They taught them a skill. Teach biology. Here's how to become a plumber. All good. Yes. I don't diminish the importance of those, but we are leaving off the most important layer. Because when you think about the cost of wellness, the flip side of that is the riches that you gain from your life. Right. But what good is it if you're the richest guy in the cemetery? Right. So, so you think about what is that cost? The cost is I could. Yeah. Play a video game for an hour, right. or I could go for a run for an hour. That's a cost. I am applying a cost of doing something that is important to me that has a benefit that 95% of the people would rather sit and watch the video game because it's entertaining themselves. Right. That's not wellness. That's fun, and I appreciate it's a pastime, but I think when it comes to measuring our cost, there is an effort to it, and I think most people... They, they run 100 miles away from the effort. They just want to do what's easy. Right. And when we think about the choices in our lives, you can choose comfort or you can choose courage. And what I know, the people that choose courage, inevitably, in spite of any pitfalls or challenges, they end up better health, they end up financially more secure, and they physically are in better shape. Yeah. Now, with it, with it being Father's Day, trying to loop that back in, when you first become a father and you take on that responsibility, there is almost a built-in sense that now you have to provide for your family. There, it's not only your spouse, but now it is your children. You have to feed them and clothe them and educate them, keep them safe. Now, part of that, and of course, you and I are, are thoroughly committed to health and wellness at all levels, Is there a personal responsibility to say, I now, as the dad, as the head of the household, one component is to make sure I am well? Are people thinking in those terms? Yeah, well, I appreciate that because any of us who become adults, what we are adding is a level of accountability that someone is counting on us. Right. And I thought about even as babies, and they go into middle school, and then they go into high school. You and I and the moms and dads that are providing for our kids, we can't help but think we do not want to disappoint the people that didn't ask to come into this world. We made a conscious decision to bring children into the world, and in the case of my wife and I, we have three biological children and one daughter that we adopted. Uh We are accountable to her. She did not ask to come into our family. But I think what you're describing is for many people that I see, they're not ready to be parents because they have not come to a place where they are comfortable in being held accountable to somebody else. Right. And I think the most important part that for you and me, because I know you're wonderful children and that you have great kids, you're a great dad, 
but where you and I, and this isn't a pat on the back, this is just what we learned from our parents. I've met your parents. They were wonderful people. Your parents talked to me, even though they never said anything, about I have a son and two daughters who counted on me to pay the bills, Mm -hmm. to help them with their education. And unfortunately, Joe, sadly, many people are not equipped for that. In spite of the fact that they have brought children into the world, for whatever reason, they disappoint themselves, they disappoint their children, they are either not ready or they don't know quite how to hold themselves accountable. And unfortunately, we see it in the broken families, and it's quite sad. All right, what we're going to do right now, Chuck, we're going to take a quick break on the line with me, Chuck Garcia, his website, chuckgarcia.com, best-selling author, professor, coach, professional public speaker, and mountaineer, as if he's not doing enough, talking about the cost of wellness. Now, go to our website, drjoegalati.com, sign up for our newsletter. As I've been saying, an email to get to me directly, radio at drjoegalati.com, radio at drjoegalati.com. Simplest thing, just go to drjoegalati.com. Stay tuned. Hope you're all having a great Father's Day. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati. The name of the program is Your Health First. We're here every Sunday between... 7 and 8 p.m. Trying to raise your health IQ one listener at a time. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com is our website. drjoegalati.com is our website. On the phone with me tonight is a good friend of mine. Chuck was actually my college roommate at Syracuse University. His website, chuckgarcia.com. And we are talking about the cost of wellness. We're talking about the emotional component of wellness. the Not just necessarily the financial, but the emotional and the tools we need to stay healthy. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about parenting and that responsibility. Do you think in the, the business of parent education or parenting. Uh, We teach parents how to bathe a child, how to change a diaper, how to um, console a baby with colic in the middle of the night, and how to teach a kid how to ride a bike and how to, you know, print their name. I, I still look at it and say, we need to teach parents, and we're talking about dads right now, but any other day, it is mom and dad. The art of being well so that they are fully equipped mentally, physically, emotionally to provide. Do you, do you see that link, or are, are you and I just too darn intellectual for ourselves? And, <laughs> well, and, and, I, and the listeners are like tuning out. <laughs> they're saying, what are these guys talking about? Help me, Chuck. Well, let me be the first one to, to, to tell to our listeners, I am the least intellectual person on this radio show. <laughs> I, I, I am anything but intellectual. <laughs> However, that doesn't mean I'm thoughtful. Yeah. What I have gone or thoughtless. Through, but, well, I, I hope I'm not thoughtless, but here's, here's my point of view. 
I'm wonder. I, 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 I'm very blessed to have four children, and at 62 years old, I'm blessed to be in good health. But I remember as I raised my children, what I was very conscious of, if I'm not healthy, if I'm not firing on all of my cylinders, if I'm not mentally prepared, right. if I don't have clarity in my mind, if I am not equipped to help my children, they, they need my help and they counted on it. They needed me to be healthy and I needed to meet them in the same place. I was very conscious as a parent that my first rule of business, that I am equipped to take care of the people that are counting on me. And I'm not saying just taking care of them in in the tactical things of changing diapers and getting dinner on the table. To me, raising my children, the most important thing to me that I was equipped to help them Mm -hmm. to develop their self-esteem. And I say that with unabashed enthusiasm. My job as a parent is to ensure that my children grew up with the ability and the mechanism to have a high sense of self-esteem right. so that we could prepare them for the world when we were no longer there to pay, pay, pay their bills. We, we raise our children, we give them roots so that they know where they came from, and we give them wings to go out in the world and do your best and right. grab a great big hunk of it. And I think your point, Joe, is exactly the one What if we were not equipped to do that? What is the evidence, the relevance, and the consequence to our children if we're not fully equipped? And that's where I see the breakdown. I I agree. Now, in in the, the, and I'll call them customers, that you work with, you have professional uh, business individuals, you work with uh, college, undergrad, graduate uh, age uh, people, do you find that there is that personal sense of responsibility? Uh, now, again, you're, you're, you're talking with, say, 22, 23-year-olds or older at, at the grad school level. You're not sitting down saying, okay, Bob, uh, tell me about your aspirations for being a parent. It's, it's not that advanced. But just in general, are you getting a sense that at the younger age, mid-career, later career, that, that people are walking around with a sense that they have a responsibility not only to themselves, but to their employees, the people they interact with, and of course their family. Is that something that is more age-dependent, that if you have a 50-, 60-year-old man or woman, they've already been through that and they understand, but the younger generation today is lacking, and a lot of it seems to be that emotional intelligence that they're just trying to figure out how to get by themselves, let alone worry about their health and the health of a family. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're going with this, and uh, I don't even think, I don't even want to answer that in, in it's something of this day and age, right. because it's very easy for us to say, oh, the Gen Z is this, the millennials right. that. I won't even go there. I think about when we were in our 20s, and we didn't have children until we were in our early 30s. Right. I, 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 I wondered, and I think about this thing called perspective, uh-huh. because I teach undergraduates, average age, call it 20. I teach adult learners in graduate school, average age 27. And I am a coach to many executives, mostly in financial services, average age 47. So I see and span an entire generation. Without a doubt, I can say 
that if you've never had children and you are expecting a family, you do not have a clue what's ahead of you. Right. The false expectations, oh, I can't wait to have a child, it's going to be wonderful, we're going to have a wonderful life, and then you find out it's like a bomb that dropped in your life. (laughs) But that's a good thing if you are equipped for that and you wrap your arms around the ability to be adaptable. Right. Where I see, unfortunately, Joe, and I see this at the executive level, for many people that I coach that are highly successful, big net worth, disasters at home, Right. they will tell you flat out, Parenting is not what I expected. It is a hell of a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. The demands that are placed on me, my kids need something, my spouse needs something, my employer needs something, everybody's tugging at me, and all I want to do is sit down and eat a meal in peace. Right. I, now, I'm in New York, so maybe we're a little bit more accelerated, but I see it across the country. My goodness, what are we doing everyone that I'm seeing, the anxiety levels. And, and, and I think I want to put it into the most simplest terms. Happiness in life is all about expectations, mm-hmm. either expectations fulfilled, which leads to happiness, or unfulfilled expectations, which are quite and most of the time, most often the source for people's unhappiness. Right. Think about that statement. What is it that we expect? And if all of a sudden we want to be CEO at 25 of a company and the company goes bankrupt in one month, we're very unhappy right. because we didn't live up to our own expectations. The only thing I can say about the generation coming up, I think they have incredibly false expectations of the path to success and wellness. They, and, and unfortunately, they don't have a clear mind about what that is, and then they are devastated when all of a sudden it's not what they expect. And lack of a coping mechanism, unfortunately, doesn't help. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. For everybody just tuning in, Chuck Garcia, chuckgarcia.com is the place to find everything you need to know about Chuck. Chuck, I'm going to change, not not really change gears, but we will have patients that come in to see us, let's say average age, 45, 50 years old, and they are on 10 different medicines for a variety of medical conditions. And they just simply accept this as the norm. They are not well individuals. And going back to what you said originally, that their mind is, is, is overwhelmed with worrying about their diabetes or their shortness of breath or their fatigue. They're not eating. They can't run around uh, uh, and, and play sports anymore. Why is this so acceptable? And, yeah, and, well, and that, to me, really is we have, as a society, accepted chronic illness. It's just, it's, it's you know, I would, I would think, and I'll, I'll speak for you for a second, if somebody came up to you and you went to a doctor and they said, Chuck, you have disease X, this is the remedy, this is how you could rectify it, you could reverse it. I would think that you would be all over it. Others here, they just throw their arms up and say, how many, how many blue pills do I need? How many red pills? Thank you. I'll see you next month. 
Well, well, God, you know, what, what you're painting is a very sad picture and one that I, I well, first, I, I don't relate to it, although I empathize with them. In my adult life, I've been on medicine once. It was 32 years ago. I had bronchitis because my kids had it, and I was on biaxin. That's the <laughs> one time I've been on medicine. Sadly, though, when I go to dinner or I go to a meal with many of my peers, often what they talk about is all the medications are on for a variety of ailments. Right blood pressure, blah, 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 whatever that is. And, and I'm in complete shock. However, here's what the conversation is. It's not about the medicine. It's about the side effects and how they react to the medicine right. that is supposedly treating them for A, when in fact what they're talking about is B. Right. I think, and I think you and I stand on a platform, because when you started this radio show 20 years ago, right. you were hell-bent on the platform of let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food in spite of all of the chemistry you had in college. Right. I remember sitting with you as you were training for your boards and I remember asking you and you were really good about telling me the chemical or the medicine necessary to treat. But what I love about this show, you stood on that conviction that there are alternative ways that you eat right and you treat yourself well. You don't have to give in and capitulate yes. to the fact that I have a pill that solves your problem. But it's back to your point, the cost of wellness. Right. What is the cost of eating right? It's much easier if I drive to the 7-Eleven, I eat a bag of chips when I'm hungry <laughs> instead of going to the Galati residence right. and throwing chicken on the barbecue. Too hard, too much cost. I'm not going to do it. Right. That is what this show is about, which is why I love being on it, because you're not ready with your prescription pad. Yeah. You have a different approach to help people, but they don't always accept that message, and it's sad. It, it, it is, and, and you're right. I will never back down. I, yes, there are conditions that you need medicine and surgery, and, and it's going to save your life, but probably 75-80% of the chronic diseases we see can be reversed with some sort of lifestyle intervention. Now, the the million dollar question is, as we uh, unfortunately have to wrap up here in the next minute or so, what do you think it will take to change the attitude to say, you know what, I don't like being on 10 medicines. How, doctor, how do I get from 10 to six to three to one to none? What is that pathway? But you, you the patient, has to have that conviction, in a sense, and the dialogue. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, well, what you're describing, I don't think there's anyone in the world that needs to be told that. But 99% of the people need to be inspired to act accordingly. Right. And I think we have created, when you turn on the television and you watch the advertisements and you watch them in prime time, there is every medicine known to man, and one after another is something I can't pronounce. <laughs> this is what we are telling the people, that it's okay if you suffer from whatever that is, because here's what we have for right. you. I think there has to be an entire counter-education movement. Unfortunately, we don't have the money that the pharmaceutical companies do to tell people, hey, if you eat chicken instead of taking that pill, you got a shot, but right. you're going to have to do this over time. I just think the entire educational model is wrong. I think the biases that if you're sick, I have a pill that helps you with that ailment. Right. I think we should bag the chemistry and tell everybody to start going to farms and know what it's like to actually eat 
to better health instead of taking a pill. I, I, I am saddened by the movements and by, by all of those ads that we are surrounded by that we have a pill for anything that ails you. But I don't know how we do it because we don't have the bucks that those, that the, those organizations right. do, but that doesn't mean that we should give into it. Absolutely, and that's why you and I, we continue to gravitate to uh, talk on the radio, and you do what you do so well in coaching, and uh, we enjoy what we do, Chuck, and that's, that's, that's equally important. Well, I, th- I think also, and, and, and I, I try to stay humble and kind and, and recognize that we have a lot of good fortune. But when I think about the good fortune, you and I had parents that cared for us, that loved us, and helped us to become who we are. But I also recognize that our good fortune did not come from just falling out of the sky. Right. We had a value system. We worked very hard to attain it. But it happened over the course of a long time. Yes. There was no shortcut to what you and I had have done. And this isn't something to brag about. It's just something to help people understand. It takes a long time to get here. And if you want that solution to come in a nice, neat package and to happen in two weeks, that's false expectations. Right. Life is a much bigger mountain to climb. Take it slow. Be patient. Recognize it's going to come over time. There is no magic for this wellness. Yeah, and no magic pill. So, Chuck, look, have a great remainder of Father's Day. Thank you. you Thank you always for coming on and for everybody listening to catch more of this marvelous person, ChuckGarcia.com. Chuck, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Joe, as always, for the opportunity to contribute to this wonderful program. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.